Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Long Shot Podcast brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, once again here with Davis Patrick Reed. Davis, how are we doing? What's up? What's up? What's up? I get my middle name today, which is good. There it is. How are we doing? We're going full government uh, for the people, but I'm doing well. Currently in Denver, Colorado. Uh, played here last night and getting ready to head to Minnesota. Um, so enjoying the altitude up here, I guess you could say. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, playing at altitude. I remember playing in a tournament when I was in like sixth or seventh grade in Denver and thinking that the altitude was going to make a really big difference because my parents had told me it might. And so I think in my head in sixth grade or seventh grade, whatever it was, I thought I was more fatigued than usual. Might have just been a, you know, psychological thing but do you feel that at all i definitely think there's a psychological component i mean it's talked about so much you know as, as soon as we land you got the people on staff making a joke cracking a joke here or there uh you know even when you step on the court they have the 5280 i think that number is correct um feet above sea level printed right in the paint there uh just the, a reminder. The, the nuggets do on their home court yeah just like a subtle reminder that we're used to this and you're not um but i will say like there's definitely some truth to it as well i notice it when you first try to catch your your first shift it's hard to get wind that first shift i don't know what it is but like your your lungs kind of get blown out um but then after you you get that first shift under your belt the first like you know two three minute spurt of a game um then you, you just kind of settle in and it just kind of pushes to the side and, and you don't think about it as much i would say it is such a home court advantage we've talked on this podcast about your home court advantage which is opposing teams in Miami but altitude yeah it's got to be a real thing and I love the paint uh, reminder that that feels like they're trying to spur the psychological effect well sure yeah they they lean into it fully uh, but you're right I, I think there you could argue that there is a competitive advantage to the fact that you know they practice in it every day they train in it and they play in it 41 times a year um so so they're absolutely used to it and then obviously you get teams like us who you know we play here just once a year come in town and it, it there's definitely a, a different feeling if the altitude if you don't necessarily feel the altitude you definitely feel like the dryness of the air um obviously i'm used to miami where it's very humid and hot um but that also is an adjustment as well well and it's not just a team at a team level, but at a personal level, some guys do a lot more running than others. And I would say you fall very much in the category of doing a lot of running. Have you ever tracked, or do you know how much you're, how much distance you're covering in a game? I, I think that these statistics are uh, at the disposal of, of everyone. I think they're public. Um, NBAstats.com, whatever. Clearly, you haven't done your research leading up to this. Not at this all. episode. Uh, I want to say, don't quote me on this. But I've seen, I think it's around three miles a game. Um, and I, and I, I know at least offensively, I'm up in the, the kind of upper echelon of the league um, in terms of how much I run, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, that, that's kind of how I get my shots. That's how I get my looks, changing sides of the floor, um, you know, making the defense work, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of pride myself on being in really good shape. So I'd like to think that, you know, when we do play in a place like Denver, I'm maybe less impacted by the altitude because, 
you know, you could maybe say I'm, I'm built for this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, maybe I won't go that far, but I've trained for this. Uh, so I would feel the impact, uh, less than others, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's part of, uh, you know, playing in this league. You gotta go, gotta go play in Denver. First of all, don't come at my research. Uh, secondly, so what do you do to train for this? Are you doing different conditioning stuff than the other guys? Or is this just on your own time? You're making it an emphasis in the off season. Well, the Miami Heat in general do a really good job of making sure guys are in elite shape. Um, you know, it's something that, that we really talk about and something that it really starts with, with Coach Riley at the top, that he has always prided himself on having teams that are going to be the best conditioned. So, you know, weight and body fat is a priority um, in Miami for sure. And then also, uh, you know, we have a conditioning test. We're one of the few teams in the NBA that, that still do it. Um, and it's it's challenging. It's certainly not easy. And, and everybody's got to pass it. I think there's been rumors floating around of like years when D Wade didn't have to run it or whatever. That's that's actually not true. Uh, that's been addressed internally uh, when, when Brian Windhorst came out and said that about about D Wade. Uh Coach Spo quickly addressed that that was not the case and that every year those guys, uh, regardless of who was on the team, everyone's running it and everyone's passing it. Uh, it's it's kind of like a really in many ways a team bonding experience in the worst way, I might say, yeah, right. um, that you just kind of you got to endure it. You got to go through it. But it's a good feeling that once you do go through it, that you know you're prepared um, and honestly far more prepared than a lot of players in the league. And that's not to take a, a shot at anybody, but. Um, you know, particularly maybe older guys, they'll use the the first five, 10 games of a season to kind of ease and work their way back to shape. Whereas we really take pride in training camp day one, everyone's in elite, you know, tip top shape. Uh, that, that the conditioning desk is basically your, your ticket to training camp. You have to pass it in order to attend training camp. What's the conditioning test look like is it a bunch of different things or is there like one part in particular that people dread the most i'm not gonna get uh too lost in the the weeds or, or oh too, it's uh, confidential what well, i just don't want to expose the the secret sauce you know i get it no, um, no, i get it Eat but culture baby i'm drinking the i mean it's it's relatively standard you know it's not like you can really reinvent the wheel um but i will say it's it's really challenging it's not just something that they have just to kind of check a box like it it really determines like if you run it you're and you can do it and, and finish it you're in really good shape basically wow i didn't know that this was like it seems like almost a touchy subject yeah i'm, I'm just not going to put it out on airwaves you know there's there's uh, as much as i love having a a public long form uh pedestal i guess if you will that i can uh, pedestal is the right word You're share on pedestal. share my thoughts uh you got to draw a line somewhere you know so uh night nights out at tau are, are one thing but when we start talking about um, when we start talking about miami heat and, and what makes it a special organization you know you got to keep some stuff in house that's fair i think pedestal is the right word you and i are now on a pedestal uh, above everyone else just now that we have this podcast. But that, it actually takes me to something that I was thinking of earlier today, just how awesome it is that people listen to this every week. I'm in a men's league now in Kansas City, and uh, that we don't need to get into that. I, I took a tough loss last night, actually. Oh, dear. Um, but I ran into a kid that I played high school basketball with. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. And he came up to me. He's like, man, the podcast is so awesome. I've been listening to every episode. And it's just so great that I'm just, I'm very grateful for the people that are listening to this podcast. I think it's awesome. 
I want to take some time to shout out a specific demographic, and that is NBA ball boys. Whenever I go on the road, whenever I'm playing uh, in, in a different city, I'm usually one of the first guys out for, for doing my warm-up, and sometimes I'll beat you know our coaches out there, and I'm chopping it up with the ball boys. You know, I try to be personable, ask them a question, you know, whatever, engage a little bit. And almost every single one of them makes a comment about the podcast. <laughs> so in terms of what demographic we're really covering, yes, NBA ball boys is up there. Like I, I can't go to an opposing arena without getting a podcast comment from either a team attendant or a ball boy. Uh, so I just want to say for, for all you team attendants and ball boys out there who listen it is deeply appreciated um, and your participation because that's what it is. It's, it's not you just tuning in. You're participating uh, in this, this weekly endeavor. And uh, it's just it's greatly appreciated. So I'll thank you, you for, for bringing that up because it's, it's something I've been meaning to address publicly. Yeah, 100%. If we've got all the NBA ball boys and that's it, that's enough. You know what it I mean? Is, like yeah. That's enough for me to sleep at night, lay my head to rest with, you know, with a smile on my face. I, uh, we need to brainstorm some kind of name for our, for our listeners. Cause like you said, this is a collaborative thing. Yeah. I want to welcome into the family. You know, it's like, a we'll do, we'll, we'll come up with something. The yeah. long shotters, the launchers, you know, something we can come up with. Uh, something. That's a work in progress, but, uh, we'll, here. we're also open to suggestions as always, uh, as, as you alluded to, this is certainly collaborative. So if you have anything, uh, feel free to, to throw it out there. Yeah. Um, all right. We're all the way off the rails. I wanted to ask you about your road schedule, which we've sort of touched on. You, like you said, you're in Denver. Um, you guys are now going to Minnesota, but it's been a, a crazy stretch. I think we did the math. I think it's like nine games in 14 days or something. Um, you guys, you know, it's we're coming on the end tail end of the season now. Playoffs are right around the corner. Are you guys? Is the approach any different when you're packing so many games into amount of time? you know, things like rotations and, and, you know, I assume those get changed up a little bit, but also just the mentality when you're flying, cause you guys just did your West coast trip when you guys are flying all around the country, you know, playing games every other day or, or even back to backs. Yeah. Well, it's challenging. Um, because as you mentioned, obviously the stretch right now, it's, it's nine and 14. Uh, but I, I know this little stretch we're on is, is eight and 12. Um, which is a lot, a lot of games, especially when you're you're being asked to play at a, a really high level every night. But perhaps what makes it most challenging is it's a really obviously pivotal time in the season, particularly when you look at how the Eastern Conference playoff picture is kind of starting to play out. You have one through three kind of solidified in Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee, um, they've proven to be the most consistent three all year, uh, at least in terms of playing at a high level. And then you just kind of have this this kind of grouping, um, which ends up being really four through 11, um, which is everyone's just kind of in the mix. So for us, it's challenging because like you said, we're, we're playing pretty much every other night with back-to-backs mixed in. But also the stakes are really high and that all of these games are, you know, you never maybe want to call it a must win, but they're really important games um, just in terms of if you're able to string a couple in a row and solidify yourself and start to kind of separate yourself from the pack a little bit, um, that can be huge. So it's uh, it's challenging for sure. 
uh, we're, we're obviously not the only team going through it. Everybody's going through it in some capacity. Um, it's, I guess you could say a luxury that those top three teams have earned and that they're able to be a little bit more open um, with maybe resting guys. Uh, you know, you see it with, uh, with Philly, uh, you see it with Brooklyn, um, guys kind of in and out of lineups, but, but we, we just don't really have that luxury. You know, we, we got to come out every night and, and, uh, and really do everything we can to try to win just with how competitive that, that center of the Eastern conference has been. Yeah. And it's, different this year than any year prior because of the playing games too. So there's this added incentive, I'm sure, to get to six so you can avoid those playing games. Because like you said, in the East, it's a mosh pit from four to 10. And there's a really big difference between being four to six to being in those playing games. Is that something you guys are thinking about at all? Truthfully, we we don't talk about the, the playing games um, just because we have aspirations of not having that be an issue. Um, I think where we are right now, and it's crazy because it, it, you know, you refresh the Eastern conference standings every night. It's teams are shuffling, you know, particularly in that, that four through seven area. You know, I think we were just four and then we were six and then five. And I think now we're six or seven, you know, it's just, if you lose you're you're, you're moving basically. And if you win, you have a chance to, to slide up the, the playing game, you know, I think, recently has gotten some criticism um from guys and owners um or or gms or you know front office people whatever whatever it may be but i think that it'll be interesting you know you know last year you look at a team like memphis who really earned in my opinion earned the opportunity to be in the playoffs and then turn around and end up in the bubble and the blazers get hot and end up once again, finding their way into the playoffs. And it's, it's tough to, for a team like Memphis who, you know, they should, they had shown all year that they were deserving of that eight spot. Um, but with that being said, I remember watching that Memphis Portland game and just eyes glued to the TV. Like it's just high level entertainment, high level basketball. Um, you know, it, it feels like some mix of a playoff game mixed with, college basketball's one and done kind of or uh you know winning winning you're out or losing you're out kind of situation um and, and it is entertaining so it, it's hard because it's certainly going to drive viewership which obviously is the goal but there's definitely it's definitely worthy um to at least receive some some level of criticism in that it's tough to be that eight seed who's proven all year that you know they're they're worthy of being in the playoffs, and then having to go out and prove it on, you know, one night that they should be in. Um, so it's it's a tricky situation. We'll see how it plays out, but I think the fans will will at least like it from the players' perspective. Uh, I can anticipate it being frustrating. I was gonna say, as a fan, I love it. I'm excited about it. We've talked about on this podcast how there's nothing better than those first few days of March Madness, and like you just said this will have some of those components where it's win or go home right off the bat. And it adds an incentive for teams to keep trying to win if you're at the 11-10 mark, right? It, it, it de- you'd have to think it, uh, it devalues the, the uh, approach of tanking if you're in that range, which I think is good too. Towards the end of the season, those games matter a little bit more for more teams. Uh, so as a fan, I love it, but I get your point. And I know some people have come out I think Mark Cuban came out and said something. Luca's come out and said something about how, you know, look, we play 72 games for the right for that eight seed. So I do understand that point. 
Uh, but as a fan, I love it. It gives you more playoff games, which is great. Um, hey, I wanted to give you your flowers because I forgot last week. This was on our our topic list of topics to hit, and somehow we skipped it. I think maybe it was intentional by you, uh, but you became the quickest in NBA history to make 453 pointers. That's a pretty remarkable achievement. I believe number two on the list was Luca. Number three is Trey Young. So there's clearly a trend uh, with the direction that the NBA is going, but that's not to discredit, you know, to to hit more threes than those guys is a pretty big achievement. And then to set a record, we're never going to shy away from that. Well, I feel like the little caveat that you threw in there of the trend was kind of an attempt to discredit, um, which I don't appreciate coming from you, but then... I'll turn around and and discredit it in that it's absolutely a trend. I mean, I I think it's anytime that obviously you can set a a record in this league, it's incredibly humbling. Um, But it's also, I'm I'm very much a beneficiary of the times of the way the game is now played, the emphasis on three-point shooting. um, And also, I mean, like 90% of my shots are threes. So... (laughs) <laughs> that that alone uh, pretty much tells you everything you need to know. No, I don't but know that's if it's exactly not, 90, but it's close. I mean, it's, That's it's in not the, the whole story, though. I mean, yeah, you shoot a lot of threes. Most of your shots are threes, but you're also making a lot of threes. So, it's, you know, not everyone can just fire up 10 a game. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. In fact, I think we've probably beaten the subject to death, but getting up 10 threes a game is really hard. So, you know, and then let alone making 42% of them or whatever we're at. It's just, you know, come on now. My my point being is that I am sure here in the next couple of years that record will come down. Um, we'll see. And, and that there's going to be somebody else who takes what I do and takes it to just an entirely different level. Um, you know, if 85% of my shots are threes, 95% of their shots are going to be threes or, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate you acknowledging that, but I think it's important to at least give it in context, you know, tell, tell the full story here um, in that so much of those types of records, and it's not just the three point shooting, but like, even you look at, like offensive trends, like the Nets this year are historically high offense because of the pace, like the pace of the NBA is just so much higher than it's ever been. Um, So as a result, numbers are going to be skewed. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to look at at Kirk Goldsbury. Um, And if you don't know who that is, you should check him out, check out some of his articles, um, check him out on Instagram. But he has has a really interesting uh, just – collection of data dating back to you know early 2000s 90s um but even it's crazy to look at the trends even since like 2012 he shows shooting trends of how for example attempts in a game you know play the playoffs in you know 2010 versus the playoffs in 2020 and he gives these really comprehensive views of just how the game has really changed and i think that he provides really good context to a lot of what's talked about today about how, you know, a lot of times people talk about, Oh, the game's changed so much. It's all a three point shooting league, this and that, but his actual research and data and numbers and graphs and charts actually really uh, put something visual to it, um, which I think is worth checking out. So shout out to, to Kirk Goldsberg. He also has a great book called sprawl ball, which I encourage everybody to, to check out. 
I love it. I love the recommendation, but just a long-winded way for you to discredit yourself. Whatever. I'm still well, giving and you to credit And to credit somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on doing really good work. You're deflecting. You're deflecting. Um, all right, let's get to some housekeeping things. First is the Hugo Boss suit giveaway. Yes. Let me Let me tell you, we have had so many submissions, so many good submissions. I'm talking from, I need a suit so I can stun on my ex all the way to like some really inspiring, heartwarming stuff. I and, love it. And you know, for the record, I love both ends of that spectrum. Uh, so we are still going through that. We are going to announce winners very shortly, but I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for uh, for their submissions. I love that. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited. The, the outpour of support and excitement around the, the Hugo Boss giveaway um, has been encouraging. And yeah, as Davis mentioned, we're currently you know, thumbing through all the submissions. Uh, we're we're going to do our due diligence. Correct. You know, make sure all the stories check out, do our background <laughs> checks, all that type of stuff. So if you think you're going to try to pull a fast one on the Long Shot Podcast, it's just not happening. Yeah, think again, uh, buddy. Yeah, my, my guy Davis is just way too thorough over there. Make but uh, that's, that's a fun one for sure. Once again, shout out to Hugo Boss for that one. Uh, we also have... We've been talking about this for a little while now. Yes, we have. Uh, excited to say it's finally coming to fruition. Uh, the NBA Top Shot giveaway Boom. is on the horizon. We've locked in a date. Thursday, April 22nd. Uh, tentatively, we've locked in a time. We're looking at <laughs> 7 p.m. Uh, but basically what we're going to do is we're going to go on YouTube Live. Uh, so if you don't follow us on YouTube or subscribe to us, I guess I should get my terminology right, on YouTube, uh, you should do that because we're going to be going live. We're going to be opening some packs, and then we are going to turn around and be giving away those packs. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. Um, obviously, Top Shot is continuing to be all the craze and all the rave. Um, so it's an opportunity to get you some some free moments. I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. You just got to be a fan of the, the Long Shop podcast. You get a Come suit on. and some free moments. Come on now. What else do you want from us? Uh, as, as you are reading that, I'm checking my place in line because there's a Top Shot drop going on right now. I'm not going to get a pack. I am. There's 120,000 people ahead of me. It's heartbreaking. Point being, very hard to get packs, people. But guess what? We got some and we're giving them away. Love it. Uh, let's get to Reddit question of the day. Dave, what do you got for us? Yeah, I got a quick one this week uh, because I'm interested to hear your take on this one, Dunk. Uh, pretty simple one. This comes from user 13579X, a fan of prime numbers, if you will. Uh, and they ask, what are the best recent basketball movies? So I have my opinion, but I want to hear you. Maybe let's go like last 20 years in the 2000s. Uh, do you have your go-to basketball movies? Why do, why do you have to put a cap on it? Why does it have to be the last 20 years? Because the question is, what are the best recent basketball movies? I'm no, Recent's arbitrary. I'm just kind of making up. I'm going to go 2000s. Um, I, God, that kind of threw off my answer. I, I didn't see the recent. I was going to say White Men Can't Jump, but I think that's 90s. Yeah, that's a, that is a classic, though. Um, that's my favorite. I mean, I guess it's... Like Mike is for sure up there. It's definitely um, once up again, there. Space Jam is is 
is before the 2000s. Those would be my top two. He Got Game is also up there. That's before the 2000s. You're all going. What I'm kind of learning now from answering this question is that we have a shortage of (laughs) high-quality basketball movies in the last 20 years. We kind of do. So I'll go. So there are two directions you can take this. One is just a movie that involves basketball, semi-pro is oh i yeah. mean that's an all-timer we were actually just talking the other day about how many quotables are in that movie if oh it's incredible oh um, i mean that's that's a top that's a top 10 movie for me just personally i'm not saying like most perfectly made movie of all time but just entertainment level are is off the charts there but if we're going to go more serious uh we've got coach carter we've got mm. uh glory road both good yeah. options i think i would go glory road if i have to go like the drama direction that's an all-timer I'm going to go, since you bring it up, I mean, Coach Carter and Semi-Pro are both great. Um, I'm probably going to go Semi-Pro. I mean, it's just, as yeah. you as you mentioned, you could, I feel like you could just watch that movie on, on rerun almost. 100%. Like, you, you could just, like, put it on loop. Um, so many hilarious moments. And that was, that was, like, vintage prime Will Ferrell. That was, like, anything Will Ferrell touches is gold, Will Ferrell. You know, it, yes. and, and then it kind of started – to kind of go downhill maybe a little bit after that. Uh, I mean, even though Step Brothers, I think, was after that, and that was elite. But, um, yeah, that that was as good as it gets, Will Ferrell, in my opinion. And what's so special about that movie is the the throw-it-in-the-blender scene. I know I don't like it. All right, back in the blender. <laughs> All right, clear out. That is kind of what you and Bam do on a nightly basis, which is special. Calls of travel. I took one and a half steps. <laughs> what do you want from me? What did I um, say? <laughs> Anyways, all right, that that was a great uh, that's a great mailbag. Let's uh push forward here long shot feature. We got Aminat Edris, I believe is is the uh, pronunciation there. A Nigerian woman who won the gold medal in Taekwondo at the country's National Sports Festival. Now catch this, Davis. She was 8 months pregnant. 8 while months she won it. Eight months pregnant wins the gold medal in a taekwondo competition. This was non-contact, by the way. <laughs> this, I think that's an important anecdote massive to bring disclaimer. to the table. Um, that there was no physical, uh, yeah, just just non-contact. You know, but nonetheless, that's not to discredit at all. Nonetheless, eight months pregnant wins the gold medal in the non-combative category. So it focuses more on like technique and form. Just goes out there, you know, a couple of weeks away from having a child and beats the rest of the competition. Just remarkable. I know very little about Taekwondo, but I have to imagine, you know, when you're evaluating something like that, you know, I almost liken it to figure skating. Once again, I don't I don't know a lot about figure skating either. But like I just I, I think that I gotta imagine the judges are like so precise. Yes. Over hand movement, body movement, just the whole the whole thing. Uh and I just can only imagine it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of practice, a lot of unseen hours, uh, if you will, just kind of beating and, and honing on her craft. Uh all while carrying another human life which is just beautiful i was gonna say you know very little about taekwondo i know very little about being pregnant but i can assume that both of those things are remarkable winning gold in a taekwondo competition but being pregnant obviously it's just it's just remarkable incredible so yeah this was this was a good one yeah that that's that's fun um and once again shout out to aminat adris 
So that that wraps up the little front of show segment here. Uh, we got a great conversation with Bam coming up. Uh, obviously an incredible basketball player, but also a, a great teammate. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Welcome back in to the Long Shot Podcast. We are here with McDonald's All-American, second team All-SEC, NBA All-Star, and of course, Taco Bell's Taco Bell Skills Competition Champion, NBA All-Defensive Team, and founder of the BAM Foundation with his mother, of course. We got BAM out of bio with us. BAM, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, Ducky. No, you're uh, you're very welcome. We, we like to keep the intros nice and thorough, but uh, I want to actually bring it back for a second to your decision to go to Kentucky. Uh, this is something that you and I have talked a little bit about, but uh, but really, I, I want to pick your brain on on what ultimately led you there. You know, I in all everything that I've read and, and heard and talked about is that Coach Cal was very transparent in the recruiting process, and that look, you're going to come here and you're going to play a role and you're going to be here for a year and you're going to go to the NBA. What was it about Kentucky that really enticed you as, you know, you could have gone elsewhere and maybe featured some of the things that you feature now, but back, but at Kentucky, you were pretty much asked to rebound, defend, and catch lobs. Uh, one, you know, obviously the, the history behind Kentucky, you know, the blueprint to the NBA, I guess they call it. And uh, two, it it felt like family. Um, you know, my assistant coach was one of those people. You know, on my visit, he he talked to me for like four hours, like just having a conversation. And, uh, you know, all the dudes in the league now that I'm in the NBA, all of them see him as a family also. So, you know, I, it was a great choice because one, like you said, it was transparent and they were honest with me. And two, it felt like family. It's interesting because I feel like from other programs, Kentucky gets a lot of shade of that. Oh, you know, they're just turning out pros. They don't care about players. But everybody that I've come across that's actually played there preaches that same thing. And I see it when you guys, like maybe guys that you didn't play with at Kentucky, but played at Kentucky, like you guys still have that that kinship and that brotherhood. And it runs so much deeper than guys that, you know, you played with, but really just any guy that put on that jersey. And it's like a bonding experience um, in that sense. It seems. Maybe I'm wrong. It, it's, it's one of those things where uh, you know what they go through. So, like, when Tyler came into the league, I knew what Tyler went through because I went through the same process. And, uh, you know, it's a level of respect when you go to Kentucky and you make it out because Cal isn't for everybody. And a lot of people know that, you know, he's one of those dudes, he's hard on you. He'll never, he'll never let you have an inch of like complacency. And uh, uh, a lot of times dudes can't handle that. They can't handle that type of accountability. So, you know, when, when you make it out of Kentucky, I got a I got a level of respect for you because I know what you went through and the process that you went. What, give me like a, a specific or, or maybe multiple specifics on how it really helped prepare you 
for the NBA. And, and maybe that's something on the court, but maybe it's something off it in terms of just how regimented it is. Um, you know, from everything I've, I've heard is that they really treat you like professionals when you're there, where a lot of places, you know, I know when I was in Michigan, this isn't a knock in Michigan, but like we were treated like college kids, like we were. Uh, and probably for good reason, but it sounds like it's very different there in that sense. Uh, yeah, we're definitely treated like, like men instead of like college kids because one, everybody wants to see Kentucky lose, but we've got like the biggest fan base in college basketball. Yeah, I said it, Duncan, the biggest fan base. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so as an 18 year old kid, that's a responsibility that you got to carry. Like when you go to Kentucky, it's the it's the fear of not being good, being good and getting bashed the whole season and being booed by your own fans. So it's a little different. And then, like they said, we got dudes doing one and done and uh, going one and done. And the fans love us to death. So they try to see us everywhere they can because we're besides Louisville, we're the only that and Kentucky football. We're the only thing they got. So they strive off of us. And uh, it's just a big responsibility for 18-year-old kids. So Cal tries to teach you fast. Like, look, this is how you got to handle this process in your life before you even get to the NBA. So we kind of go through a lot of stuff that another college kid would go through at a slower pace, if that makes sense. You talk about how Cal won't let guys get away with much. Is that on the court also? Like, I, I, when you're showing up there, is it clear right away what your role is? You know, and it's like, did you ever feel like that was inside of a box? Or are you, you know, able to grow your game and work on your game in that year that you're there? Uh, I was definitely able to grow and work my game. Uh, like I said, it felt like family. So my assistant coach, when uh, like on off days or, or practice days, we would come in before practice. And then sometimes late at night. So I always got to work on my game, even though in the actual game, I never really done a lot of it. But in, in hindsight, it was just like, look, you can do it behind the scenes and have everything there. So when you get to the next level, you're not behind. And uh, I really respected that. But for Cal, yeah, he never let us off the hook. Like it was always organized. We were held accountable. Like, if you were wrong, you were wrong. And if you thought you was right, he was like, all right, we're going to watch film and see if you was right. So <laughs> he was one of those coaches. And uh, it, it helped us. It, it turned us into men because at that point, we were held accountable at 18. So when you get into the NBA being held accountable, you, you get a better sense of it and a better understanding of what your job is. I want to talk about the infamous Miami Heat workout, which has been documented and discussed um, many times, but I want to hear your version of it, uh, or, or as much as you're willing to share, I guess I, I should say. There, it's been reported. I'll just say, I'll say that I won't confirm anything, but it's been reported that there was a moment in that workout where you realized what was happening in that they were basically having you guard everybody. They were having you guard the point guards, the wings, and the bigs. Uh, just 
maybe shine a little additional light on that workout, what you maybe remember from it. Uh, j- just give the people what they, they want here. Once again, we're not asking you to, to go into <laughs> too great a detail, but, but whatever you're willing to share. All right, I got you. So, uh, first of all, it was DC who I cursed out, Dan Craig. But uh, so the workout's going on, and we started playing two on two. So we're playing two on two, and the ball will go out of bounds or something. And then DC was like, all right, bam, top of the key uh, with so-and-so, guard. You got five seconds. So after, like, the third time, I'm like, all right, ain't nobody else doing this. Like, I'm the only person defending everybody. So finally, I kicked the ball at, like, the ball goes over at, like, Patnum because it went out of bounds. And I look at all of them. I, it was Pat, Andy. I think Mickey was there. Everybody was at the table. You know the you know the table. I know the table. I know the table. So DC is at half court, and I'm walking towards the ball, and I look at all of them and say, "All y'all got me effed up," and uh, that was kind of like that the cutoff for my workout. Cause after that we did like one more segment and we was done. It, it's interesting because like, first off, you're, you're allowed to curse on here. Yeah, um, this is an explicit podcast. Yeah, but that's fine. I, that's fine that you, you know, bleeped it out. That's cool. Oh, um, so we can curse up here. You can curse. Yeah. For I sure. see. I didn't know that. Duncan. Yeah. But it's not just, just let it ride. Well, okay. you know, whatever, whatever you feel. Well, I told all of them, they got me fucked up. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's interesting though because like that in and of itself, like taking it there for you is I don't want to say a risky move, but it's like at that point you didn't totally know who you're dealing with. Little did you find out, obviously, that that's like the exact reaction that they would love to hear. And and you know, if there were any doubts of whether or not you were their guy. I think they all subsided right in that moment and that like, this is our guy. Um, I think that that kind of like encapsulates what makes you and, and this organization such a perfect fit. But like, what what have you felt since you've been a member of the Miami Heat um, that, that's really been, what have you felt that's helped you be your best version? Like basically day in and day out about the culture. Obviously heat culture gets talked about a lot, but how have you seen that really like come through in terms of your development? They let me be myself, first and foremost. So, uh, you know, they never, they never made me like change who I am. Like from that workout, I've always kept that type of energy and that edge. And like you said, they, they love, like players like that with that type of edge. So, you know, my work ethic just went, just went with, with the edge. And, you know, as it fits the, the development caliber that we have here. So that was, that was the perfect mix. Cause they like dudes that got edge. They like dudes that, you know, would back down, talk shit and uh, work hard. And that's basically what I am. So it kind of just meshed together well. I've I've noticed specifically how much that the organization has pushed you to be a leader. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because like people talk a lot about how you're like the heart and soul of our team. Obviously, one of our leaders, 
and like sometimes even I forget like I'm three years older than you, which is like it's like kind of like a mental thing that like a mental hurdle that I need to get over. Uh, but that's that's my own issues that I got to deal with on my own. But it's it's crazy to me how you've like been thrown into this, and I I believe it because I see it every day. Like you're you're truly built for it. But like how has how has that challenged you? Like are, are you are you naturally that that vocal person because you are the one who's speaking up in every huddle you are the one who's really pushing it as far as that goes hell no i was not ready for this but uh because when i was younger i was always one of those kids that was like all right i'm gonna just lead by example like i don't i don't have to speak and then it got to the point where i was like all right if i speak what the hell i'm gonna say like who's gonna listen to me so when ud tried to put me in this role Last year, I was like, yo, UD, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I got Jimmy, who's a five-time All-Star. I got Goran, who was just an All-Star year before that. Uh, who else? I had I had Iggy at the time. You were three years older than me. I was like, what am I going to say where they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to listen to this kid. Like, and I would look at UD and be like, like you just say what you got to say. I was like, bro, what, what does that mean? So that's when I started, UD started making me do like the cadence when we like break. And it was just to try to get my, my leadership role going. And I was like, all right, so I'm supposed to switch up the cadence every now and again. Like, what, how do I do this? And he was like, bro, just, just calm down. And now I've gotten to the point where you know, I, I trust me and me and Spo trust each other enough to, if I speak, it's gonna be some good shit, and uh, that's kind of how I develop. And now, like you said, I'll be in the huddles. But you clearly had some of that in you, right? Like back going back to the workout when you're you have the confidence to tell people you got me fucked up. Like you have, you clearly have that voice. Uh, but I think you finding it is. Is, is special. I wanted to ask you too about playing off of each other because your two-man game is pretty well documented. It seems like it's evolved a little bit this year. Uh, how has that process been kind of finding counters now that it's, you know, well-known that you two have your, you know, your dynamic? Duncan don't get as much shots as he used to. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I can say. Duncan, but the coaches do a great job of trying to help us evolve our two-man game. And, you know, as you see now, Duncan handles the ball more than usual. So uh, it's just one of those things where it just helps us develop and it helps his development. Obviously, he needs to dribble instead of just being a spot up shooter. And, uh, you know, I needed to learn how to play in the pocket. So it kind of helped both of us and understanding defenses about how we can get each other open. Yeah, I think it's it's grown uh last year i was able to just like fly off of stuff basically kind of unguarded and and get to spots on the floor that i was comfortable with and as a result this year a lot of that stuff has been taken away um but like bam bam said coaches have, have helped a ton but but also i i think the the biggest thing has been really kind of continuing to develop the field of like you know for example if bam 
Bam is a huge part of both, obviously, our defense, but he's a huge part of our offense as well in that I'm one of the people on the floor who can get him in, in the, get him the ball in a situation where he can really be dynamic in that a lot of times when I'm coming off of stuff, you know, the big is also jumping out at me, um, trying to take that away. So if I can get the ball back to him, then he's playing four on three on the backside, which is where he's proven to, to be really, really effective, whether it be attacking the rim or distributing. Um, but it's, it's definitely required some, some creativity for sure. It's, it's a work in progress. As Bam said, I first had to get comfortable dribbling the ball, <laughs> which, <laughs> which took a little bit of time, you know, I, I was basically just asked to, to catch and fire that thing last year, uh, in, in the playoffs, you know, you got to adapt man. you, uh, you got to adapt, but that, that brings up an interesting point of people talk a lot about versatility and they talk about the ability to score you know, from the paint and the perimeter, Bam possesses like an incredible, unique versatility to be able to, first off, defensively, his versatility is off the charts. I mean, it's ridiculous. But then offensively, the ability to handle the ball, you know, be on the perimeter and then also distribute, which I think is a, a hugely underappreciated part of your game. But how have you seen that kind of unlock since you've been in Miami? Is it something that you always felt that you've had and that now you've just had the opportunity to really tap into it? Yeah, uh, it's definitely something I've always had. And, you know, it's something I've always been developing. So when I first got, it's funny, because when I first got my first summer league training camp, Quinny thought I was literally just a role, role big that just played defense. So when we started playing five on five, after the workout, Queen was like, yo, you can actually like dribble. I was like, yeah, like, ooh, what do you expect? Like, and he was like, nah, because I I never really watched you move. And I was like, well, like, yeah, I'm, I'm this, that, and the third. So <clears throat> when we got in summer league, that's when I started to actually exposed to people that I can dribble, pass, defend, and do dynamic thing. And ever since then, it's just been a growing progress. And Spoelman led me off the leash more and more to the to this point. The thing you left off that list just now is shoot, but it seems like to me, a fan from the outside, one of the parts of your game that's different this year is your mid-range seems automatic and it seems like you're trusting it a lot more. So what was that process like just developing that confidence in that shot? Uh, it wasn't developing confidence. It was more so the, our system flow was we didn't want non-paying twos. I see. So in my mind, I was like, if I make enough of them, Everybody else doesn't have to shoot them, but me. Yeah. So, and then it is, so it's kind of to that point. So Duncan gets to shoot threes and I get to shoot my middies because one, I'm quote unquote undersized center against dudes that are like seven one. So like, I need another tactic besides going full speed, you know, as somebody seven one two two ninety. I want to go on record and say I still think that you're incredibly underappreciated, underrated. I think that the the general media still doesn't give you the credit that you deserve. 
I'm I'm curious because I've noticed this being your teammate. In terms of around the league, though, you have a ton of respect and appreciation from other players. And I, I see it all the time. I, I remember after we played uh, in Brooklyn, KD's post-game comments about, you know, you have 40. And it was like, he's basically like about time. Like, you know, like Bam's like that. Like, like, like he can go and get you 40, which I don't think a lot of people realize that, that you're still you're capable of doing, even though you've done it. Uh, another example is... Uh, on JJ Reddick's podcast, D'Lo uh, went on and said that if there was anybody that he would build around, it would be you. So I guess I know you have that chip because I, I, I'm with you every day and I know you have the chip of, you know, whatever ESPN insider, this or that, not giving you the love that you deserve. But what does it mean to you that your peers really respect your game and, and know what you're bringing on a night in, night out basis? It's all respect at the end of the day. And, uh, I'm not one of those dudes that's going, you know, I keep it simple, Duncan. You know, that, that's always my game. I keep it simple. I get straight to the point, straight to the money, and uh, that's it. And, you know, the media doesn't like that. Media thinks that's boring. That's why nobody really was so shocked about, like, Tim Duncan. You know what I mean? Like, people paid attention to Tim Duncan. Like, everybody in the league knew who Tim Duncan was, but, like, the media, social media world never gave him his flowers while he was there. You know what I mean? So I feel like I'm I'm in that type of role. Like, I'll get my, I'll get my appreciation when I'm done, probably one day. Or people might be like, look, like, he is that. Um, but it don't bother me, you know. I go out there, I clock in. Enjoy my time while I'm out there. Clock out. Do it again. Yeah, I, I think the people that matter really know what you bring on a night in, night out basis. Um, I think that's for sure. But I, I want to ask, since we're bringing up players around the league, I want to ask if there is a particular matchup. Uh, maybe it's an individual matchup. Maybe it's a team matchup. You know, you're from North Carolina. Maybe it's going back home and playing in Charlotte. Is there a game that – I know you get up for every game because you bring it every single night. That's one thing that can't be questioned. But is there a matchup that maybe just draws a little extra attention from you? Uh, Don't be bashful. Feel free <laughs> to throw out some names too, you know, if you want to. <laughs> Uh, I would have to say Sacramento just because I go against Fox. And uh, just well, Fox, actually, just Fox, Fox. And, Fox and Malik. So like my past teammates, because okay, you know we always gonna talk shit to each other. So that's that's how it kind of is in, in the NBA. So like when one of us lose, the other one's talking big shit. You know, you suck this, that, and third. So uh, <clears throat> those are kind of the games I really get up for, and I really be pushing for us to really win. Because uh, at the end of the day, I gotta hear that shit. You know, Duncan, you ain't gotta hear that. I gotta hear that shit in the group chat. So, are you the reason why Malik Monk gives us thirty every time we play them, <laughs> or what? <laughs> I mean, God damn, Bro, fam. Probably, yeah. That that yeah, I can accept that. Yeah. Fair enough.
I gotta ask, Bam. I gotta ask about the the infamous block on Tatum last year in the playoffs. I was in in preparation to talk to you. I was watching some just highlights from that run, and I came across some videos on YouTube of doctors like breaking down the physics of the block and how it doesn't make sense and you know all this stuff. So I just gotta know, was it? Because when you watch it in slow-mo, it really doesn't make sense how you're able to stop that much force with basically your fingertips. Uh, have you gone back and watched the replay? If so, how many times? Uh, you know, Is it your screensaver on your phone? Or have you just kind of forgotten about it and now you're moving on to the next thing? Uh, I haven't forgot it. I haven't forgot about it because I low-key still talk shit to JT about it. You know, because uh, like a lot of us in my draft class grew up together. I grew up playing AAU together, growing up playing against each other. So we all know each other. So we all talk shit. And when it happened, his mom see me in the bubble. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? Like, I can't even claim you to be like my second son. Like, I, just, oh, no. I can't claim you right now because we're going against you. I can claim you after the playoffs. So that's kind of like the the – the love we all got for each other, but I still remember the block. I it still feels unreal to me, um, and you know, watching it, it felt way faster than it did in like actual time. So like, when the block happened, in my mind, it was like boom, and it was over. That's why I threw the ball because I had to register what happened. And I was like, oh, shit. I just – this is game. Like, game is over. <sighs> and then in my mind, I was like, I think we're going down in history. <laughs> I think we're going down in history. Because if you watch everybody's reaction on the bench, it's delayed. Everybody's reaction is delayed. It's a block, and then I got the ball in my hand. Everybody was like, oh, shit. So uh, it's definitely one of the, uh, I think it's top three moments in Heat history. You know, wow. I, 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 no, I like that. I want to comment just quickly on the fact that you are really close with your draft, draft class, like you said. Uh, I just want to point out how that just must be like a top, 25 in the country type of thing because i'm just completely left out of that um but but just an interesting interesting little thought that like you guys probably all have like a you know lottery pick lottery lottery pick group message or group chat um where i just don't have that but uh i i i want to wrap up here asking you a question that we try to ask all of our guests which is basically when you look back at your career and, and you have a, a special one already and you have still so much time um, to go in terms of at least what you're going to accomplish on the basketball court, but is there a specific moment or a experience that you feel was kind of like a, a pivotal turning point um, or maybe a springboard for your success? And that might be a conversation. It might be a decision uh, or something of that sort. Is there something that really sticks out to you? Uh I think it was when you you got here my second year, Duncan, right? Yeah. Second year. So you was here when I started starting at the end of the season. Yes. Yeah. 
So I think that was my pivotal moment in my career when I got to really start for the rest of the season. And uh, coach kind of let me explore my game and, uh, you know, really explore the offense. I think that's so interesting, Bam, because social media, not that social media opinion matters at all, but fans and social media are so quick to bail on a guy if they don't pan out right away. And you're a perfect example of someone, like you said, you didn't really get that opportunity to start until the back end of your second year. So now it's like if someone's a rookie and they're not panning out right away, people are so quick to throw it to the side. It's just so interesting. I mean, you're a, again, you're a perfect example of someone who took that year, grew through that year. Now you're an all-star, you know, fast forward two years later. I think it's just remarkable. Uh, I, I feel like a, a lot of social media opinions happen when you're the top of the lottery. Yeah. Me and me and Donovan, I feel like we're shocking to people because, you know, me and Donovan, Donovan were the 13th and the 14th pick. And then you got the fifth and the, what was Jesse, third? Yeah. Yep. So all four of us get max deals, but nobody, if you would have looked at the draft, the draft slots when we were rookies, you would have been like, all right, the top five are getting the max. You know what I mean? And then it's yeah. shocking because it was a 13 pick and a 14 pick that worked their way through a system and became who they are. No, that's it's super interesting stuff. Um, and and I've I've seen you carry that that chip um, basically night in and night out. So uh, I just want to wrap up here. We got our little undrafted segment. Uh, we'll just do a little quick hitter here. Uh, we're gonna start off. So once again, Bam, just to remind you, this is the underappreciated. We want underappreciated answers, the sleepers, if you will. Um, so we're gonna give you three topics, and yeah, just kind of you can ex- you can expand on them if you'd like. But we're you know if you want to just give a quick hitter answer, that's cool too. Uh, we hear that you're a Katy Perry fan. So uh, we want to know, the people want to know, the masses want to know. Everyone wants to know. What your undrafted Katy Perry song is. Uh, TGIF. Ooh. That's, that's a, border, a borderline answer. I don't know if that's underappreciated, but it's a good song. Don't get me wrong. But it's a smash. I think most people would agree that song's a smash. Yeah, but all her music is a smash. That's I true. Think. Everything everything KP touches is a hit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's kind of the one where I thought was kind of underappreciated because it's it's such a great song and like everybody knows it, but it's like everybody's like, yeah. I, I, I think it's second tier. I think that's a fair answer. Yeah. Right, we'll we'll let it slide. I got the second one. Bam. The other people the other question that people want to know, everyone's asking. The word, the other word on the street is you're a big sleep with the TV on kind of guy, which I relate to, by the way, helps me knock out. So is there a TV show, an underrated TV show, maybe one that people wouldn't think of that you like throwing on before you go to bed? Uh, I fall asleep to a lot. Uh, I, I got a couple. I got a couple I fall asleep to. It's kind of like a little rotation. Oh, okay. Give me one. So it's Boondocks. Oh, Family Matters. Okay. Uh, 
and then it is oh my god, what is it called? Oh, losing my train of thought. I mean, either of those work. We could just I, leave it at that. Yeah, Boondocks is a Boondocks <laughs> is a great work. call. Boondock the uh, uh, dancing in the middle of the street to burn, and the Boondocks is an all time. That's an all time television moment. Um. All right, we'll, we'll bring it back to basketball here for this last one. I want in undrafted underappreciated aspect of your game and this is what you feel is underappreciated something that you bring to the table that does not get the notoriety that you believe it deserves uh i would say my scoring ability mm. but like that's one of the things that's like truly underrated because when i came into the league i wasn't just a scorer you know i was a a, de- a defensive kid like that's why i got to play I brought defense and energy, and uh, slowly as the years got going on, I've become more offensive, and uh, I think people just underappreciated a little bit. I agree. The thing is, you do it efficiently too, which I don't think a lot of people realize. Like you can score with volume and do it efficiently, which is obviously the the sign of a good score. And you get to the free throw line, which is also another sign of a, a good score. Um, and you make your free throws, man. What, what are you eighty five? You eighty five percent this year? Uh, yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. We Some, that reminds me. That reminds me. We on an earlier episode of this podcast, Bam, we shouted out people around the league who were quote jacked but good free throw shooters, and you made that list. So congratulations, you're on the list. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it's, it. It's it's a pretty coveted list to be on. Um, somewhere in the middle of your All Star appearance, it, it's somewhere around that level of. Uh, praise but uh, all right bam we really appreciate you taking the time man uh we know you got a lot going on so thank you for uh for taking the time and chopping it up a little bit and uh yeah appreciate you doing the same shit you doing thank you <laughs> i mean yeah you would think so but then then again it's hard to get you on the podcast we've like tried multiple times and you just want to keep putting it down first of all one time twice dude i i asked you a month ago and you said yeah i got you it's all right we're not gonna get into it now we can talk about this duncan asked me one time and i was like all right Duncan, i got you and then i forgot i had other zoom calls understand duncan look bro gotta reschedule do it next time listen then duncan hits me today 15 minutes before this podcast (laughs) first of all you're letting our secrets out yeah 15 minutes before He's like, yo, bro, I need you. I got you. <laughs> and it's it's so appreciated. I, and I'll say this. Have, have we rescheduled a couple times? Yes. On the spectrum of being easy to deal with, you are you are awesome. Most of, of our guests, most of our guests are an absolute struggle. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you. Uh, you you, you, you you've been great. Thank you for taking the time, man. Yeah, bro, y'all got it.